gonna keep peeling the layers back to this this moment. Um, yeah, we're today is gonna be about repentance, and so like I don't think we ever get away from that. Like the the thought that we've moved past the need for him, or the thought that we've moved. Um, to some level of expertise like oh we got this like we know how to do this like, I know how to lead worship I know how to be a father I know how to I know how to love you God I, I know how to preach the gospel I know I know I got this the thought that any of us ever get to the place where we like I don't need you like I've got this it should it should really convict us and I feel like it is and um, we're going to release the kids in a moment, but don't stay focused. Like, don't go to commercial break. Like, don't let the ad interrupt. Like, we're, we're, this is where we're digging today. I just wanted to give the kids an opportunity to be released. Holy Spirit, you are the great convictor. You convict us to righteousness. So, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you to continue what you're doing in the room continue the conversation you've started continue to turn your searchlight into our hearts into the places of self-reliance into the places of self-righteousness into the places of pharisee religious attitudes holy spirit we ask we please give we give you permission to convict us father send your word and cut us deep today bless our kids. May the kids learn this as well. May the kids learn this as well, that it's all about Jesus, the sinner. He's the sinner. I'm, I'm asking for your permission to just roam around today. The Lord has a lot of things that he's been saying to my heart over the last few weeks. And everything this morning lined up. I, I was sharing with someone that I have some things that he's been doing to me that I'm not even ready to talk about. Like, I'm really careful. Y'all may not know this about me, but I, I do not study to prepare sermons. Like, you can probably tell. But I don't, I don't study and, like, get my notes out. And I, I don't study to prepare a sermon. That, that's not how I, I have never done it that way ever. Um, I did it in school when I was told that's how you're supposed to do it. But then I, I learned that like the studying was for me yeah. is to get his word in me. And then in the moment you, you learn like, okay, he'll lead me where I need to go. I prepare. I have, I know where he wants to go, but I don't study to create a four point sermon or whatever it is. There are times I do that. He tells me to do it, but today's not one of those times. I just have a word. I just have a very strong, heavy word. And so because of the way I prepare, I, I, I usually allow these things to go on for a while before I ever talk about them. Like, I don't feel like it's right. Like the Lord gives me uh, a revelation or a, a highlight something in me. And then I immediately get up and share it when I haven't had time to let it change me. And so this is a shorter period of time than I usually go before I talk about what's going on. But I'm a Pharisee. I, I have never... 
ever in my life been more aware of the fact that I am a Pharisee. I'm a religious person. And I like to think I'm not. I like to think, well, I'm not religious in this area, so I'm not religious. I'm not religious in this area, so I'm not religious. Or I'm not a Pharisee here, so I'm not a Pharisee. But it's, the, it's, the, it's a fact. And what I mean by that is I, I've stopped being like a son. You know, like if, if, if you have a family and your, your family are, are silversmiths or you're, let's do something, you work on computers and it's generations and you're into technology and your family, that's what you do. You're into technology and you've got generations of technology in your family, like it's in your blood, right? It seeps out of you. You don't mean to. You got generations of it. Like your kids like are so brilliant. New tech comes up. It doesn't bother them because we have technology in our blood, right? It's generations of technology. Well, I'm that way in religious things. I've got generations of priesthood in my family, and it serves me really well in some ways, and in other ways, I, I, I blinded to the fact that I need Jesus, that I'm a Pharisee, and I'm just going to talk today and confess. And if this was just for me, I wouldn't do this publicly. Like, if this was just for me to deal with, and I would, I would just deal with it in privacy with people that are, are um, accountable to in my life, and I would do that there. But the Lord says, no, like, fire life needs to repent for being a Pharisee. And you're like, well, what does that really mean? Because, man, they, the Pharisees get a really bad reputation. You know, we talk bad about the Pharisees because like, you know, Jesus called them snakes, so we, we can be mean to the Pharisees, right? Um, you brood of vipers, like who warned you? <laughs> I was coming, you know, what, what's wrong with you guys? Constantly. But the, the problem was, and this is what I started thinking about, a Pharisee wants to be first to the information. See, I know all the other ways I know what Pharisees are, and this is what the Lord began to reveal to me that I didn't understand, Pharisees want to be the first to know something. They want to be first to the new revelation that God's pouring out. Because the Bible says that a Pharisee attitude is, if I'm first through the door, then I can control the door. And he says, you go and you guard the gates into the kingdom, but you yourself won't enter in. That's a Pharisee. A Pharisee wants to be privy to special information. That's why they always tested Jesus. Like, we need information. Like, we don't need you. We need the information that you're giving us. Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, when is this going to happen? When is that? They wanted, they wanted special information. They wanted clearance on a level they didn't deserve, right? And Jesus never went there with them. As a matter of fact... He quoted Isaiah in one spot in, in Matthew 15, and he's like, you guys, I, Isaiah was right when he prophesied this. This is Isaiah 15. Verse 8, he says, you draw, you draw near me with your mouth and with your lips, but your hearts, they're far from me. And you worship in vain. Oh.
Why is your worship in vain? He tells them. Because your worship is made up by teachings that are doctrines of men. That's not from God. And why did he go into this? They were mad because the disciples didn't wash their hands before they, before they ate. <laughs> and he's like, you guys, it's not what goes into the man that makes him unclean. It's what comes out of the man. See what, 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 he's like, when you eat with unwashed hand, the food goes into you and then it's expelled from your body. It's waste. No problem. It's a process. But what's, what goes into your heart comes out of your mouth. That's what makes you unclean. And he's like, you guys talk about honoring your father and mother. You talk about it, but you don't do it. He's like, and when you say that you honor your father and mother, he goes, he goes, if they're in need of financial money, if they're in need, if they're in need of finances, you say, well, I've already donated that to the Lord. I've already set that finance aside unto God as an offering. He's like, you use me as your excuse not to meet the needs of your loved ones. And you call it an offering. But your worship, it's vain. It means nothing. You sing songs, it means nothing. Your heart is far, far from me. And he told them to repent. And the disciples came and they said, hey, Jesus, what did you mean by all this? This is all Matthew 15. What did you mean by this? He goes, here's what I mean. Every plant, this is verse 13, Matthew 15, 13. Every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. He said, let them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Peter said, explain this. He goes, you still not understand Whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach, it's eliminated. But those things which come out of the mouth come from the heart. They're what defiles a man. And then he lists all the things that the Pharisees were doing, even though they're claiming to be religious. He goes, these things make you unclean, not unwashed hands. And I started thinking about this, like, I don't want to be a Pharisee. James says, do not be hearers of the word. Be doers of the word. Because if you hear the word and you don't do it, you deceive yourself. And that's the Pharisee religious spirit. Like, I got the information. I heard it. I heard the revelation from it. But Jesus goes, being a hearer isn't the valuable part of the equation here. It's doing what you hear. It's putting it into practice. That makes you righteous doing the things that we know to do. Albert Einstein once said this. This is just a great, one of his great quotes. He said, we cannot solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we used to create them. We cannot solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we used to create them. Oh. What, what kind of thinking? I got this. I can handle this, Lord. I'm the master of my life. I've got it under control. I can add this. I can do this. I can do whatever I want. I've got it. No, we don't. 
we, <laughs> we get in a mess and we're like, Jesus, I need help. And the first thing we do is we, we use self-help. I'm gonna be better here. I'm gonna pray more. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do more things. And we're using the same problem, the same thinking that created the problem to try to solve the problem. And he goes, stop it. The only way to break this religious Pharisee spirit is to be completely surrendered, completely surrendered to him. I'm just going to keep going, all right? I'm, I'm meandering through somewhere. Maybe I'll land it. I'll try to land it well. Give me grace until then. I've, I've shared this in a sermon years ago, but in England in the Middle Ages, how many remember in the, the 14th century, the, the bubonic plague? Like, bad, bad news. Like, we think COVID was bad, and it is. This was 100 times worse. Millions of people died. Whole towns and whole villages died. Like, this is an absolute devastation on the planet. And it was destroying Europe. In, in some cities, more than 50% of the population died. No one could figure it out. So some brilliant observers noticed a pattern. Y'all have heard this, right? They saw that everywhere their plague was, there were lots of cats. They're like, cats everywhere. And I mean, like, I'm not a cat person. I can totally see where they made the connection. The cats have to be the problem because the cats are evil, right? So what do they do? Well, there's lots of cats here and the plague is killing everyone. There's very few cats here. The plague's not as bad. The cats have to be the problem. So let's kill all the cats. So they went around and they commissioned people, literally. They created bands of people to go out and kill every cat that they could find. Thousands and thousands and maybe millions of cats were killed. And guess what happened to the plague? It got even worse. <laughs> this is true. This isn't even made up story. Like, this is absolute true. These people who came up with this well-intentioned plan to solve the problem had misdiagnosed the problem. So when we misdiagnose a problem, we mistreat the problem. We think the problem is I need to feel better about myself. We think the answer is a gospel that pats us on the back and makes us feel better. That's not the gospel. The gospel is good news. It says, I am a wretched sinner, but Jesus paid my penalty. I am desperately in need of a savior, so Jesus came. The gospel is not supposed to be preached to make us feel better. It's supposed to convict us. It's supposed to pierce us inside and out. And we've misdiagnosed the problem. And look what we've done to society. We've created a society of snowflakes. I use the word. Of everyone, like you can't, can't be negative to anyone, you can't correct anyone, you can't say mean things, but you can say really mean things to certain people, but not other people. Like you can't, like we've created a weird society and we've done it in the church. Like, oh, we want, we want to preach friendly gospel. We don't want anyone to be offended by the gospel. Look, Jesus offended someone every single time he opened his mouth. Every single time. And we don't use the gospel to offend people. 
because that's misdiagnosing and mistreating the problem. It doesn't mean that we preach a hard gospel to try to offend people. I can't make the gospel offend someone or not offend them. The gospel stands on its own. If the gospel offends me, it's because I need to shift and move. No man, no woman of God can use the gospel for our own uh, devices, our own intentions. The gospel is it's, it's the truth. I cannot manipulate it and use it for my good. So when we, what we've done, and I'll talk about the church world, is we created a world that says, man, everyone, like we live in a really rough world, a society, we need to make sure all the Christians feel really good about themselves. And we've created a really big problem. Because no longer do we preach the real gospel that's fire and that's not uh, enticing words of men's wisdom. Like, oh, well, we need the best thinkers to preach the gospel. No, we really don't. We need the dumbest people on the planet to just simply preach the gospel. Well, we got to have, you know, beautifully packaged sermons. And again, listen, I'm not against doing my best. I'm not against people raising the bar of excellence. I'm all for that. But that isn't the diagnosis. All the flowery stuff isn't the solution to the problem. It's the true gospel. And all of us need it. Can I <laughs> So many times I come to the Lord and I'm discouraged and I want him to pat me on the back. Make me feel better. And sometimes he does that because that's what I need. And he's decided that's what I need, so I need it, right? But when I come to him and I'm like, I just need to feel better so I can go back to taking care of all this on my own. Because really what's happening right now is I've lost my confidence in myself. And so we come to him, we're like, hey, Jesus, I've lost confidence. Will you, make, will you puff me up a little bit so that I feel confident about myself again? And Jesus is like, that's not, that's not how I roll. That's not the gospel that I preach. Like, you don't need to feel confident about yourself. Your confidence needs to be in Christ, in Christ alone. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. This is the gospel. And so all these well-intentioned scientists and brilliant thinkers thought, kill all the cats, we'll take care of the plague, and they made it worse. Guess what the real problem was? The rats. The rats were the problem. The rats were everywhere. They were in the streets. They were in the sewer. They were all over the restaurants and wherever they had all the pubs. They were everywhere, and the cats were actually helping. And they killed the help. <laughs> because you cannot treat a problem properly if you don't diagnose it properly. And who of us can look at any problem in our life and diagnose it well? Jesus even said this of the Pharisees. You think that you're wise? You think that you're wealthy? He goes, but you don't realize that you're miserable, you're poor, and you're naked. You, you don't have anything that's yours. I hold all of you in my hand. It's not yours. And we think that, oh, well, I, I'm really wounded in this area of my life. This is what I need to fix it. I need this thing. I need a better job. I need a better relationship. I need more money. I need, no, those are all false 
uh, solutions to the real problem. That's Jesus needs to be the center. Jesus at the center. And when we preach this gospel in the church that says if we can make people feel better about themselves, they'll act better. Well, if I can feel better about me, then I'll live better. Power of positive confession. And again, there are places for all of this. There's truth in all of it, right? But it is not the center message of the gospel. The center message of the gospel is blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who completely acknowledge their dependence and their need for me. For they get the kingdom. And I'm guilty of all of this, every bit of it. I shared just something that I wrote last week about disappointment and discouragement, the sneakiness of the enemy, the lies of the enemy, and how he comes in and he lies, and he'll say, you're not good enough, you're not enough here, you're not enough there, you're whatever, right? The sneakiness of the enemy. He takes truth and twists it, right? And then he brings and he builds a case, and we we come into agreement with him, like, you're right, I'm, I'm terrible. But the problem is, when I come into agreement with the enemy saying that I'm terrible, I don't get to the solution. But when Jesus comes in and he cuts me with his word, and my response is, man, I'm terrible. It leads me to him. Like, I recognize you're the only one that can fix me. And this other thing, I slip into the sneakiest, most deceptive lie of all of them. I can fix me. If I'm religious enough, if I pray enough, if I preach enough, if I heal people, if I prophesy enough, then I'll be enough. And it's not true. And we've, we hit this so many times. It's the scariest to me, the scariest passage of scripture in the Bible is when they come to Jesus and said, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We cleanse lepers. We raise the dead in your name. And Jesus goes, yes, you did all of that stuff. But I never knew you. So go away from me. Leave my presence. It's like many will come on that day and say, Lord, we did all this stuff. He's like, yeah, you didn't know me. I wasn't the center. We cannot solve the issues of the soul with works. We cannot solve the issues of our heart with more revelation. Like, I think we've got the greatest preaching ever right now. I mean, everywhere you go, there are great, there's great preaching on the earth right now. There really is. And all of that great preaching. Look at our cities. And this is a a terrible statistic, and I hate bringing negative statistics. Because I'm like, (laughs) but 
the most religious states in our country, the most church-going states, it's like Mississippi, Alabama, Texas is one of those, especially Mississippi and Alabama. They're the most church-going states in our whole country, have the highest crime, highest divorce rates, highest suicide rates, highest um, adultery in the church. Like it's, it's like, okay, we've got to preach the real gospel then. Because this, this isn't, all this stuff isn't going to do it. It's going to be a, the power and the demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul said, he's like, look, I, I mentioned it earlier, but I don't come to you with enticing words, with men's wisdom. I don't come with new revelation or new ways the church is going to explode and growth and change culture. I come with the simple power and demonstration of the word of God. I don't preach anything else but Jesus Christ and he was crucified. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation, the gospel. There's no other way for us to be saved but through Jesus, the door. Jesus said, if you try to get to the kingdom in any other way, you're a thief and a robber. So all of us that have been a Pharisee today has to stop like it has to stop. You're like, well, okay, I'm going to work on it. That's not the solution. It's not work on it and stop being a, a, a Pharisee. It's, it's, it's surrender. I give up. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm pitiful. Let's all be honest. Even on my best day, I'm pitiful. I need Jesus. Like, I need him. We need him, right? Like, we can't do this without him. Like, for us to think that we can for one second do anything without him, it's beyond foolish. He's called us to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to cleanse lepers, to disciple nations. And if we don't apply the gospel to our lives in surrender, we may do those things, but we won't know him. First Corinthians 4, verse 18 through 21. First Corinthians 4, 18 through 21. Paul's talking to them. He says, some are puffed up as if I wasn't coming to see you. <laughs> He's like, some of you are really being arrogant and you're puffed up in yourself right now as if I'm not gonna come and see you face to face. Like dad's away right now, you're acting really tough, but I'm coming to see you. I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And I will know, not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. <sighs> For the kingdom of God is not in word, but it's in power. He's like, what do you want? Do you want me to come with a rod or do you want me to come with love and the spirit of gentleness? And he's correcting the church. And I feel the Lord saying that to us today. Like, you're puffed up. You don't even know it. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to me now. You're puffed up. You're arrogant. Even right now, you felt arrogance in this message. Like, stop. Stop it.
And here's the, we'll close it out. This isn't for other people. This isn't a you message. This is a me message. This is for me, Lord. This is for me. It's not for me to judge other people. It's not for me to look at other people. Oh, man, they're definitely a Pharisee. (laughs) Pot calling the kettle black. Like, if we recognize the Pharisee spirit in other people, it's only because we know it in ourselves. It's really familiar. Like, oh, I recognize that. You're a Pharisee. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like the Lord wants to set us free from it. And I, I really do, I feel, I, I, I'm praying that we'll get to keep the richness of the relationship that we've walked into with him for time, over time. That we'll, we'll keep the things we've learned, the revelation, the victories, the battles that we've fought through, that we'll keep all of that stuff, but we'll learn to do it from a place of surrender and we'll learn to do it from a place of being a novice and like, I don't know anything. Lord, I bring my testimony to you. I know you've done this before and this is how you've worked. I bring it with me, but I don't know anything because you're in control, you're in charge, you're the boss. And I feel like the Lord's saying, hey, come on, come to this place of surrender. It was at the end of worship, that's where we moved into. Like it's a place of repentance. And I hear him saying this to us. I'm gonna gonna say it again. Jesus is like, do you want me to, to come with a rod? Or do you want me to come with a gentle, loving spirit? And here's what I think that means for us today. If we'll climb on the altar and surrender, then we'll, we'll, we'll come under the influence of his loving, gentle spirit in this process. But if we push it off for another day, he'll bring the rod. the discipline so Jesus can we just make it let's make this whole place an altar if this is for you just come to the front I won't say another word if you brought offering in person the buckets will be somewhere where you'll see them on the way out but let's make this a place of prayer like a place of repentance actual place of repentance and surrender to God